There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning, good day. Welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio, a show about high finance, money, taxes, uh, and even some maple syrup. Yes, indeed. Tis the season for maple syrup. The tap is running. And so we are going to end the show with a discussion with the Shaw Maple Syrup Group. Uh, you know them. Drive up the 400, go to the cottage, and you'll see the Shaw signs all over the place. It's going to be fun to speak to that family. He's been producing maple syrup for almost 100 years. Uh, middle of the show is going to be Michael Graham. We're going to talk about Facebook and the... Uh, Guess data breach and uh, all the noise around that stock. And uh, we're going to open the show, of course, with uh, Mark uh, uh, Fagenbaum. Uh, he is a entertainment lawyer and a accountant, both U.S. and Canada, his own firm, uh, Fagenbaum Law. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark. Pleasure Thanks for having, having me. The show. Yeah. Jack and I do a lot of work with people in the media and entertainment industry. It's, it, it is my background. Um, and it's interesting, uh, when advising clients uh, on uh, cross-border activities, um, they, they get advice from their lawyer, they get advice from their accountant, uh, and there's often, um, I won't say conflict, but uh, a, whole, a whole lot of voids uh, that, that each party uh, is not fully equipped with. You, you seem to bridge that nicely being both lawyer and accountant. I think that's an extremely powerful uh, combination that you bring to the well, table. Well, thank there. you, too. And as well, uh, as well, they usually get advice from Canada and the U.S. separately, and doing something in one country might not be allowed in another country or vice versa, so we have to kind of meld those ideas as well. Mm-hmm. Well, look, uh, you, you specialize what in sports and entertainment. And uh, again, Jack being a, uh, a hockey guy, uh, you know, you made almost semi-pro, didn't you, Jack? Uh, I don't know if semi-pro, but uh, yeah, did uh, did not too bad. You did very well for yeah, yourself. Peeps, yeah, yeah. No. yeah. Um, but but you, you shared with me once, Jack, that NHL players um, have to report taxes based on multiple jurisdictions, each state, each province, um, they, they have to account for. They, they certainly mean, have complex tax returns. I think that's what you know Mark really specializes in. And then as well, they uh, have different rules for entertainment and sports than for other people. So you have to kind of know the special rules just for sports people. Correct. Now, for example, being that I, I do a little broadcasting, I tax deduct my suits as part of my uh, <laughs> expense. And I know there's always been a, a, a bone of contention for, for young uh, actors and actresses who want to write off their, their, their garments uh, as, as part of performances. And even that's been a bit of a, uh, a debate, I think, in the uh, tax law, isn't it? Yeah, especially there's been some interesting court cases where um, people have had to wear specific uniforms or specific clothing for an event. And uh, the courts in the U.S. at least have said that if you um, can wear it outside beyond it, that's not a clown suit or a fire suit or something like that, <laughs> then um, then you can't deduct it. But up here in Canada, not, not as onerous, I hope? Yeah, there's different different rules. Again, both countries have different rules. And, and the question is whether you want to reduce your Canadian or U.S. taxes more with using those rules and how it combines together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jack and I come up across umpteen times is Canadians who, for example, uh, were twinkling their parents' eye, flew over America perchance ended up um, delivering the baby in America, coming back to Canada, and hence being considered American citizens. Uh, and that really only came to roost about five, ten years ago when the authorities in America said, we want to know of every one of our citizens worldwide, they must report. I think, it's, uh, I think it's always been going on. It's just now that they're really cracking down on it, it seems to be. That's correct. It's really the, um, in the last administration they want to focus on foreign income. Uh, I always tell people, it's a, they'll call me and say, oh, there's a new rule, we have to file taxes. It's actually from the Civil War, the rule. But um, it's been going on, and, and uh, we've been doing it for decades, but people are now becoming more aware. Uh, U.S. is only one of 
two countries in the world that tax on uh, citizenship and not residence. Mm-hmm. So wherever you live in the world, if you're a U.S. citizen, you're paying worldwide tax. And so it's the combination then of, of how the two taxes uh, meld together from the country you live in with that. And there's various uh, credits and deductions and things you can take. Yeah. The, the one thing I found out this year actually was that minors, I guess, can't relinquish their U.S. citizenship. I didn't know that until uh, I was actually talking to a client. Uh, we, and we spoke with a, a U.S. cross-border lawyer and they said, you know what, if you're a minor, you have to wait till you're 18 before they can make that election. If you're just tuning into the radio show, uh, we have Mark Fagenbaum, uh, uh, lawyer, uh, entertainment lawyer, and accountant, uh, both U.S. and Canada. So if you're up-and-coming artist uh, or athlete and uh, you get yourself a contract, you may need to speak with an individual. Do you get involved in helping uh, 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 performers and athletes uh, uh, draft contracts? Is that part of your, your bellywick? Uh, not really, because usually that's the job of the agent. Sometimes I'll review a uh, contract, like an endorsement contract, for the correct wording on the tax side of it. Mm-hmm. Do you work with a lot of agents? Uh, yes, a lot of them, yeah. Yeah. So so let's go back to tax versus law. Mm-hmm. Um, estate planning, tax planning. People would often think that is a role of an accountant. But when I speak with accountants, uh, tax law is not really what they're up on. Tax reporting, they're, they, they, they actually know like the back of their hand. Um, why is that? Because accountants need to know a lot more about law because tax is just that. It, it's, it's legislation. That's right. So in um, tax is kind of unique because it's both in accounting and law. And um, we kind of separate our practice well as, as consulting and compliance, doing the uh, forms versus actually planning for estates or reducing taxes and, and that sort of thing. And it is a combination. Usually you have to work with both a lawyer and accountant, especially in estate planning. I do a lot of work with also high net worth individuals who need to do uh, planning and they um, and, and we will have to arrange the plan and then they would normally go to a lawyer to draft the documents and I would just do the whole thing at one time. So yeah, I would say the, the tax law, it's similar to what we do is always looking forward where the tax reporting as a traditional accountant would do is, you know, looking backwards and reporting whatever your tax owing is. Right. So the service that you would provide to an athlete, for example, go, go, go through them briefly. Um, normally, uh, there's a lot of different factors in a lot of different athletes in a lot of different sports. Um, some sports, their planning is different than other sports. For example... Let's talk hockey. Hockey it? and baseball, those are uh, what I tend to call the employee sports. You're an employee of the team, you get a paycheck like every other person and then the um, and then the team covers all most of the expenses and that sort of thing so um, we plan um, do, do a lot of the work on where they're living um, and how that where the team's located and all the away games and and there's some uh, issues with the tax treaty that we have to work on this is different than say golfer who is their own boss they're they're like a small business and they um, pay for all the equipment all the training all the coaching uh, travel and then they go to um, the, the the matches and they sometimes pay an entry fee, and then their winnings are their income. So there's a little bit more planning hmm. to do with that. Isn't that interesting? Uh, look, we're going to pay some bills around here, Mark. Uh, we okay. are in the studio with Mark Fagenbaum. He's a, a lawyer and accountant, both Canada and U.S. Uh, he, a, lot, a lot of credentials uh, certainly worth tuning into, please, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back, Guy Fire Radio. Jack Hartle, producer of the show, Wolfgang Klein, your host. And we have Mark Fagenbaum in studio, accountant, lawyer, both U.S. and Canada. Um, Mark, do you deal uh, more so with athletes than uh, performers? Uh, I think probably more actors and actresses. Uh, they're um, they're also very unique in all directors, producers. Uh, there's so many different jobs in the industry. 
and they all have very unique and complex. Even if they're a job that doesn't pay a lot, it still has very complex tax issues. And are you a member of the bar, therefore, in both Canada and the United States? That's correct, yes. But you, you, you told me you are born in L.A.? I was born in Canada, grew up in L.A. Oh, born in Canada, grew up in L.A. So I'm, I'm a both, too, so I know how the system works. Right, so you came back to Canada for the snow, I guess. You missed it? Yeah, I was just <laughs> saying today is a great uh, spring day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so so if, you're, if you're in Canada and the U.S., are you registered in each individual state? You have to pass the bar for every state and province that you practice in? Is that how it works? It's uh, technically like that. It's kind of odd. They have a system with two different courts, the state courts and the federal courts, mm-hmm. and you have to be a member of any court that you want to act in. Um, tax law is the federal, is the federal court for federal taxes. So I practice in I uh, a yeah. whole bunch of different tax uh, jurisdictions or federal jurisdictions. Uh, what, what about simple Canadian estate tax planning? Um, uh, mom passes away. Mom had $300,000 of Facebook uh, before the scandal, of course. And uh, she passed away. Now she has to file both a Canadian uh, terminal return and a U.S. terminal return. A lot of Canadians don't understand this, that if, if they own, uh, was it 50000 or more of U.S. assets, they have to file a, I think it's 50 or 80000 It's 60000 yeah. It's $60,000 of any kind of U.S. asset, they have to file a uh, an estate tax return. So, and it's hire, hire an accountant that's qualified in doing just that. Right, and it's a really technical thing. I used to practice mostly in estate planning until the rules changed and it doesn't apply to as many people. But um, the um, if you're... Uh, Canadian, they tax based on the growth of your assets. The U.S. taxes on the fair value of the your assets, assets right. at the date of death. And so if you're even a Canadian that has U.S. assets, U.S. Um, condo or U.S. stocks, even if they're held in Canada, you'd be subject to the U.S. estate tax as Correct. well. And so, um, and then basically it's, it's a lot of paperwork, but also planning so you don't have to pay. The U.S. estate tax is very onerous. They've been trying for years to get rid of it. Um, but at, at that level, there wouldn't be a whole lot of estate tax owing, no. right? It's more of an administration process. That's right. And that's why I was saying is when I used to practice planning, it was anything over 600000 of worldwide wealth would be subject to the tax. Now right. it's it's $11.5 million. So, Significantly um, more, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what about Canadian businesses? Um, we'll talk marijuana businesses, for example. Maybe we shouldn't talk about marijuana business because I actually challenged it to expand the United States. But you deal with companies that actually expand into the United States. So uh, what kind of exercises and, 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 and questions need to be answered uh, legally and from an accounting point of view if you decide to uh, take your venture from Canada to the United States? Sure, and there's a lot of questions and a lot of uh, different plans. And one of the uh, tips I would give is people going to expand their business in the United States. If they go to a U.S. Uh, law firm or U.S. accounting firm, they'll uh, give them a structure which is best for U.S. resident people, but that structure using, let's say, an LLC is not very um, good if you're a Canadian resident. In hmm. fact, it creates a very high rate of tax, so we have to use alternative structures um, which which aren't as easy and, and they take a little bit of knowledge of both Canada and U.S. tax to, to figure out. Mark Fagenbaum, a tax lawyer and accountant, uh, both Canada and the United States is in studio with us. I should say, Wolf, the really important there what he's talking about, especially with the U.S. expanding, I think there's going to be a lot of Canadian businesses looking to just do that. If they have you know operations up here in Canada, uh, the tax, tax jurisdiction down there has just got a lot more favorable than, uh, especially here in Ontario, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, right? Interesting. So it, it could be a huge line of business for you. Yeah, the, the U.S. used to have one of the highest corporate tax rates in the world. They have Correct. one of the lowest personal rates and one of the highest. Yeah. And so they just changed that all over, and that's going to be a, a new a game changer. As well as um, the markets here, people want to sell their product to 300 million people, 400 million people. And so um, the amount of businesses expanding out has grown exponentially of my practice. For yeah, the it's, last it's extremely hard to do to expand in the States, but if you do it right, the, the bounty is uh, massive. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about wills. Um, if you're a Canadian, but you're doing much business in the United States, States. Uh, would your Canadian will address your American assets if, for instance, you, you had a house in L.A., but you're Canadian, you have a cottage up in the Muskokas, and you, you work in both countries uh, as an athlete? 
Um, well, as an, anybody, <laughs> they um, normally, um, except for unusual circumstances, if you take a will from a, where you live is where your will should be, and there's a single asset in the other uh, jurisdiction, you can do what's called ancillary probate and take your will to um, Mississippi and say that uh, I'm going to use this will to transfer this particular property, and then normally works that way. It would. So you, mm-hmm. you can use one will to cover yourself for all of your assets within North America? Normally, unless it's very complex. Yeah. And is that what people tend to do then? Well, I try to advise that because it's a lot cheaper than getting multiple wills and, and the disorganization involved mm-hmm. in that. What, what about tax return for, for, for a hockey player? Uh, again, speaking that they have to report their provincial taxes, so every province they play in, the, there's a certain amount of revenue that's allocated towards that, I thought. Yeah, it's uh, better to play in Calgary than it is to play in Ontario, for sure. It, it mostly, <laughs> that way you got 40 home games, isn't right? That, isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. Maybe a, not for playoff purposes. Yeah, but, fair but, but that's the truth, isn't it, Mark? But they don't get paid a whole lot in Place, yeah, right? there's a there's a lot of factors. Um, mostly, though, it, it depends on where the, the athlete lives and where their residence is, because that doesn't necessarily is where their home team is. Um, and so that that's what a lot of the planning involves. A very um, you know, because I thought about that. Work. I thought about actually having my residence in Alberta. There for used a to while. be the Alberta Trust, right? That's right, Alberta mm-hmm. Trust. Yeah, isn't that something else? Um, we got about sixty seconds left. Uh, give us the highlights of, of your career. Some some really exciting things that, that you have encountered in, in your dealings with these wonderful uh, artists and entertainers and, and athletes. Well, it's it's actually a very interesting job, and and like I said, there's unique uh, rules, and so it's sometimes hard because other accounts lawyers want to have a marquee client, but they don't understand it, and so then they'll mess it up and. and It'll be uh, unfortunate, then we can clean up, or or they've just been not doing the right jurisdictions or not doing the right returns. So I've had a lot of people come to me after they've had a problem. I've done a lot of uh, tax litigation, uh, going to court over tax issues or other kinds of issues, which is always exciting. And for me, anyways, not so much for the client, but um, you know, and and it's uh, it's just dealing with the personalities is, is very fun too. You have to have that. I have the background in in entertainment as well as. Um, you know, high-end retail and things like that. So I've I've gotten a feel for how the you know that sector of the population operates, and it's a it's a little bit demanding, and they're um, a little bit. You know, one, well. one of our clients in LA, she's an entertainment lawyer, and one of her clients is uh, Stephen Tyler. Is it? Yeah, from Aerosmith. I said that must just be a riot to have him in a room and work with him. She said, "Well, you know, a lot of fun, but a very very intelligent individual." Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm sure most of your clients are very very smart people. Oh, some of them. Uh, we I had a. a Player that was a basketball player that that was on top of every fee, every every item that was invested in. He, he spent most of his time just managing that, and and um, and I've dealt with. I um, actually I took a program at uh, Harvard in uh, entertainment and sports, and uh, there's a lot of actors and athletes actually in the class that want to learn more about the business. Uh, Mark, how can people get hold of you if they decide to uh, do some business with you? I'm um, sure you can uh, call me at 905-695-1269, or on my website is. Uh, my last name, F-E-I-G-E-N-B-A-U-M, law.com. Fagenbaumlaw.com. That's correct. Fagenbaumlaw.com. Thank you. Yeah. One more time, Fagenbaumlaw.com. There yeah, you go. Mark, a real pleasure to have you on the Thank air. We're going to do some me. business with you, I'm sure. I look forward to developing our relationship. Appreciate You're a very, that. very wise man, a lot of talent, and a lot of value, I think, you bring to the equation here. So much more right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. In Canada, we get to see them all. We get to see the maple trees, maple sugar and the maple leaves. We get the biggest wheat fields growing tall. Indeed we do. D-A. Hi-Fi Radio, Jack Hartle, your producer, Wolfgang Klein, your host. Yes, indeed, it is the season. The sap is running, the taps have been tapped, and the trees are giving us their liquid goodness. 
the maple tree that is. Uh, but what, uh, 8 million barrels, probably 9 million barrels uh, of maple syrup shall be harvested in Canada alone this year, 70% of that coming out of Quebec. Uh, and we have Jack Hartle's dad on the line. Uh, he's up at Walker's Point. Uh, Jim Hartle is his name, and he's a uh, cottage producer, no pun intended, true cottage producer of maple <laughs> syrup. But uh, beside him on the line, we have Tom Shaw. If you've driven up the 400, you've seen uh, Shaw's catering, Shaw's maple syrup signs all along the way. I've always been tempted to pull over and... Uh, have some, what's that little candy you guys make, guys? Uh, a little toffee? No, no, they, 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 you throw on the snow. It's, it's like a... Toffee on the snow. I guess it's toffee on the snow. So uh, welcome to the show, Tom Shaw and uh, Jim Hartle. It's a real pleasure to have you guys on the air to produce Canada's goodness. Uh, maple syrup. Uh, I, as a wee lad, uh, helped my friend Mitch Steven up in Halliburton um, make some maple syrup, uh, but they use big barrels and the cows would get into those barrels every now and then. But you guys have this thing that's so sophisticated, don't you? Oh, mine is really sophisticated, yeah. <laughs> so is that Jim or is that I, Tom? Yeah, no, it's, yeah, this is Jim. Yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I, I had some ears uh, this morning, by the way. I and a half an oil can or half an oil drum. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you've had fun because, you know, Jack could talk. I say, we do pretty well. We do about, or uh, he does, I'll say, and we help him out, do about uh, 40 liters of, of syrup a year, which is quite a bit yeah. for a small little production we got going on. But no, Jack, I remember when you came into the office about five or six years ago and said, Wolf, I'm going to produce maple syrup for my dad this year. I said, Jack, I think that's great. He said, yep, we got a guy. He's going to make us the pan. Yeah. He's in Minden, as a matter of fact, Wolf, for your cottages. It's about 200 bucks for the pan. I saw it on, was it uh, eBay or YouTube or something like, something like that? or something. Yeah. Sure. And away you guys went with your first batch. I will say, Jim, I told you, you know, I'm, I'm a connoisseur of food. I'm a food lover. And your first batch was a little thin. And I told yeah, you, I said, da- was, I said Jack is a little was, thin. We started out using this candy thermometer, and it was really hard to get that temperature down right because of all the smoke and stuff that was coming off the... Evaporator. You know, it's funny because I did a, I did a taste but, test of your stuff this morning, Jim. Yeah, well, you, we, you, we, you we, use we, a bit we, more smoke in. I like your smoke. Sophisticated. We use the uh, we use our uh, digital thermometer that we use in the oven for our turkey and our roast, and we set that at two eighteen, two nineteen, and when the alert goes alert, alert goes off, uh, it's ready to take off the evaporator. Well, now, so let's talk to Tom. Now, Tom, he's a little more sophisticated. He's got this reverse osmosis thing going on. Yeah. So what do you think of the candy thermometer versus the old reverse osmosis to get some of the water out and burn less wood? Is that what's going on there, Tom? Yeah, it's, uh, it, there's, there's many different ways of doing it. The great thing about maple syrup is that it is just as simple as drilling a hole in a tree, getting the sap out and boiling it. We have a little more sophisticated, I guess, system here. I'm the uh, sixth generation to, to tap our bush, so we have reverse osmosis and uh, 30 kilometers of tubing bringing in uh, uh, 4,500 trees that we have tapped out there. That's incredible. Yeah. Now, some, some that Jack brought to my attention last year, because uh, Jack's become the maple syrup expert on Bay Street, uh, is a cartel. I was going to say, if you're, if you're producing up in the woods, you want to make sure that the cartel doesn't come and get you, right? So you yeah, but I didn't know this. Like, I, I know Colombian drug cartels. I've heard. I, I know of oil yeah, cartels. I'm not allowed to sell any of my syrup. I have to just give it away to friends and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Only in Quebec you need to worry about yeah, the cartel. No, no, but, but Tom, let's talk about that. Like, they're, they're, This is true. There's a cartel that basically controls the, a, a maple syrup marketing board for Canada or for the province? Only for Quebec. So uh, a number of years ago, they found that uh, the seasons would, uh, they, a good season, the syrup would be cheap, and a bad season, then the syrup that they were selling at a low price, they suddenly had to raise it up. So they decided to all get together and pool their resources, and uh, so the, the province okayed them to have uh, 
a strategic reserve, which is a government-sanctioned cartel to control the global surf price and supply, kind of like OPEC. I, well, no, a strategic reserve. My friend, the only strategic reserve I know about is in America, and it's for oil. Because America was once a, is a net import of oil, and they want to make sure they had their oil in in, in check in case the OPEC did something nasty to them. So they had a stri- uh, in salt caverns. They, they were they were stockpiling oil, so they have a strategic reserve of, of maple syrup. Well, you see, uh, maple syrup is worth more money than oil. About fifteen times more per barrel than uh, <laughs> than what uh, oil is worth. Correct. So it, it, our cartel is very important. Isn't that so? <laughs> so, so the other so, thing, the other thing with maple syrup too, it is predominantly produced in, or if not all, produced in North America, and Quebec does most of that production. Seventy percent, yeah, yeah, correct, yes. yeah. But but let's talk about Trump because America is our big importers of our maple syrup. Uh, so any talk of a Trump tariff, you know, he just slapped another hundred billion dollars of uh, of tariffs on Chinese goods. Uh, any any word of him uh, disrupting the maple syrup? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing, nothing yet, although uh, nobody wants to predict what Trump's going to do. The American producers actually like this uh, uh, cartel, the, the uh, Federation of Maple Syrup Producers of Quebec, because over the course of the last 15 years, what they've done is they have increased the price of wholesale maple syrup, so they like it quite a bit. And, uh, you know, the Americans, they're very competitive, and they don't mind uh, competing against a, a government instead of uh, just a, a, a capitalist. <laughs> right. Is, is there any difference between the maple syrup that's produced in Quebec versus Ontario and then the northeast United States? Uh, well, Ontario produces the best stuff, I would think of that. Course, I, yeah. I hear Walker's Point makes some good stuff. I know that Oral makes some good stuff. Uh, Quebec, just slightly less is good. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's classic. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, it, it, it's, it's good stuff for you. It's got antioxidants in it. It has calcium. It's got potassium. It's got zinc. It's got iron. I'm just reading the notes that you gave me there, Mr. Shaw, but I appreciate those <laughs> notes. But, no, it, it, it's good for you. And, uh, you know, it, it's a key commodity that Canada produces, and we have to be very, very proud of our heritage. And it's not all the same. Look, I love wine i love food and we did a taste test this morning there jim up at walker's point um, <laughs> and uh you know something jim you want it uh we, 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 taste i or? had the smoky muskoka taste i like that it was lighter so i was skeptical because we we put yours up against some dark stuff we had i think it was from quebec was it from Quebec? Yeah. And Jim, you want it, my good friend from Walker's Point. But look, this maple syrup story is, is fresh, it's young, and it's going to continue on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Money. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. In Canada, we get to see them all. Yeah, I couldn't come up with a second song, so we had to stick with good old Stomp and Tom. I say, but it's as good as that. You don't need to change it. Why change it? We're going to play it. We're going to play it throughout the entire show. I fight radio and Stomp and Tom. Uh, We have the Shaw family, and I'm talking about the broadcasting family. No, no, no. I'm talking about the maple syrup family. The Shaw family has been producing maple syrup for six generations. The uh, Hartle family has been producing uh, maple syrup for five years. Uh, <laughs> and it's all good. It's all good. It all no, works. no, Jim, but you've proven to us that, that what, what Mr. Shaw said, you know, it can be as simple as drilling a hole in a tree, tapping it, collecting some sap, and then boiling it, it yeah. to the point of it's about 40 to 1 ratio, isn't it, guys? Yeah, yeah. We do about, uh, we start boiling at about three to 400 liters. And we ended up get, we end up getting about eight to ten liters of syrup. Is, is that right? But um, uh, Mr. Shaw, let's talk about your family. Uh, you know, maple syrup is is has been around for what a couple hundred years. Give us a little history on the product and and how your family got involved in this uh, wonderful Canadian commodity. 
Well, my great-great-grandfather purchased our maple syrup bush from the Grand Trunk Railway in 1892. They had to purchase all the land to put the railway through, and then once it was in, then they went around to neighboring farmers and uh, and sold the, the land off. Our farm was located a mile away from this, uh, our existing farm, and so he bought it just for firewood sales. Then in 1904, in just cast iron pots, they started making maple syrup to sell in at the local farmer's market along with the firewood, and then... Two years later, they decided it was a good business and uh, bought an evaporator, and the rest is history. So let's talk about an evaporator. Uh, is that what, what Jim is doing, just a straight pan where you boil the stuff and let... Uh, let yes. Is it as simple the, as that? The more yeah, modern... Like it's a half, the one I have is a half an oil tank, <laughs> and it's got uh, two, two, two stainless Is that steel, what gives uh, it the smoky flavor, Jim? The, yeah, the, the, I don't the know, oil residue flavor? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's got two stainless tanks on the uh, top. One holds about 60 liters and the other 20. And, and um, so when did the season begin this year, guys? Uh, our first boil was uh, January tw- or, uh, February 22nd. Is that, is that, that sounds like an early start, that, isn't it? That was the same here. We had a family day weekend. We were doing it. That's is that right? It's eh? been early the last couple of weekends, eh, Tom? Or yes. the last couple of years, eh, Tom? It has. It, it continues to move up a little bit earlier, and we need to be ready to catch it nowadays. Yeah, so, we, so it, 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 for us, it's almost shut down for about three to four weeks, and then it's started up again. Now, now, now what I want to talk about, Tom, is, is, is again, the industry has changed. Your commodity was obviously still is a very cottage industry. It's a very localized product. Uh, I, I know people up in Minden, for example, they buy it from the neighbors, and their neighbor's neighbor, mm-hmm. whoever produces the stuff. And that's just the way it was, similar to the way old world wine would have been, for example. But now you got the big international companies, you got Costco's of the world, you got Loblaws, President's Choice of the world. Uh, they're, they're certainly going to change the product. They want it to be made cheaper. Uh, are, are they cheating? Are they cutting it, for example? with I heard people cutting it with brown sugar, cutting it also with, um, I think, molasses, and no. still calling it pure product. No, that uh, that happens a little bit in the southern states, but not in Canada. It's actually illegal to do, and they can test for it. So it's not really done. Again, getting back to the strategic reserve in, in Quebec, what they do is they, they store syrup. So people like Costco go to them and say, we want X million bottles, and we'd like to pay this amount of money. So what they do is they make a blend of three, four, and five-year-old syrup. Isn't this? I don't mind it when it's a few years old. It's got, you know, it, it, it yeah. does age. It ages quite nice. In fact, do you not get crystals in the bottom of it over many years? Uh, over many years, and that's just the moisture coming out of the jar, and, and the syrup has to stay at 67% sugar, so when the water goes out, it needs to, to come out of it. So when you're buying it from a local neighbor, you're getting a nice, fresh, delicious, new flavor to it. When you're buying it at Costco, you're getting it for a good price, but it's, it's just not quite as nice. Still good, still good, nothing wrong with it, but it's just not quite as nice as it could be, I guess. So, so the product that you sell, Tom, uh, where can it be found? Um, mostly just at our own location. We sell most of it this time of the year, and then uh, a couple of local stores down the road and country produce off of Highway 11 there. So, and how much, do you, how much do you expect to produce in a good year? In a good year, we'll make 1,000 gallons of syrup. And how, how's this year looking? Good. We're over that now. And how long do you think the seasons will run for, or is it coming to an end now? The snow keeps falling, so I don't know. I think you got a long season. That's my guess. Yeah, we've been froze up for the last couple days, so we're going to get a good run whenever it starts again. Yeah, that's the Um, same here. Hey, Jim, you're enjoying this radio thing, aren't you? I get up on uh, Saturday morning and listen, yeah. Good for you. No, you're, you're just, Jack was a little concerned about bringing Jim on the radio. So Jim's going to be great I, on the radio. I said it'll be good as long as we don't talk about pot. Maple syrup's fine. <laughs> yes, pot, right. I forgot good. about that. So cottage industry. Because that's the next thing, guys. You know, you may be able to get yourself an LP and grow marijuana on the side. I don't know if you thought about it. 
But you know I'm, something? It is Canadian. A little merger, yeah. A little merger action. I'm going just on. thinking. A little cross pollination. I don't know. You want to have maple syrup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that could be for the munchy part of it now, guys. Think it. about that. <laughs> Look, it's been a pleasure. You guys, as Canadian as it can be, and it's a real pleasure to have you on Hi Fi Radio. Jim Hartle up in Walker's Point, and uh, Mr. Shaw, Tom Shaw, uh, Shaw Catering as well. You do pig rolls, I understand, as well. Tell us about them. What, what, what exactly do you offer? Oh, we have a do-it-yourself pig roasting business where you can come and pick up all the apparatus and go off and do your own party. And then we have a full-fledged menu where we do a lot of tented weddings and corporate picnics and things like that from everything from fish to chicken to prime rib. Isn't that something? What, what a great Canadian entrepreneur. And uh, that's what we need, right? Small business and employee. How many, how many people work for you? Um, that's kind of the neat part that we have about our business. Uh, my, my wife employs uh, about 15 local girls, and it's her first job after, uh, after babysitting is working in our Pancake House restaurant. It's kind of the one thing that we're really proud of in the community. We'll, we'll employ somewhere around uh, 20 people throughout the year. Good for you. That's great Good for you. Mm-hmm. Real pleasure, guys. I uh, wish you guys a great weekend, and hey, keep tuning into Hi-Fi Radio, where we bring it all when it comes to high finance and everything good. Coming up next, it is going to be Michael Graham. We're going to talk Facebook, and we're going to talk data breach, and we're going to talk advertising digital dollars right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, we were looking for Fang for Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, but Jack came up with Fame from Bowie. I prefer Fame over Fang, but we do own Fang stocks, and as such, we got Michael Graham on the line with Hi-Fi Radio. Michael, thank you for joining us on the show, my good friend. Uh, hey, Wolfgang, thanks for having me. Uh, nice to be here again. Yeah, no, nice, to, nice uh, to hear you, my friend. Out here in terrible weather. Yeah, you know, it's pretty gray, and we're still snowing, and, uh, well, we just had our maple syrup friends on, and apparently the, the tap is still flowing, so if you're a fan of maple syrup, it's going to be a good season, and you can get your fill on it. But uh, we're here to talk about data and, 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 and uh, breaches and the good likes. Uh, you know, it's been a tough couple weeks in the market, uh, you know, a bit of a recovery rally, uh, but uh, you cover Facebook, and obviously front and center is at stock, 87 million uh Users, users had their uh, data compromised. Yep, they, sure. they data compromised. And apparently on Monday, we're going to get a notice on our news feed if we have been compromised. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Correct, Michael? You know, it, it is. I, I mean, I think it will pass without uh, any sort of structural damage to Facebook. Um, but it, it's definitely an issue. You know, I, I think the, you know, what Facebook was doing in terms of using data to target ads, uh, you know, is, is very widespread. And, like, they, they have not been doing anything that, um, you know, Google hasn't been doing for, for even longer. And the whole sort of digital ad ecosystem, you know, does on an ongoing basis. I think that, um, you know, what, what happened was, you know, one of Google's partner or one of uh, Facebook's partners, um, you know, improperly uh, uh, used the data, uh, you know, for, for part of Facebook's uh, platform. And, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is that um, I, I think that it will be, you know, sort of quickly figured out that Facebook didn't do anything illegal or unethical or anything like that. But the bigger issue, I think, is that if the general public and the regulators and the lawmakers really um, come to understand how much data, you know, Facebook and the other uh, players um, actually gather, you know, it's, it's a little bit off-putting. And um, you definitely could see the potential for uh, for some more uh, regulation. And, um, 
you know, it, it, it would definitely have a, a modest impact on, on Facebook's business in the short term. Um, but, you know, I think two, two quick things. Uh, you know, one is that um, Facebook has the best data. And um, if other players uh, that use data from, from other third parties are forced to um, are forced to kind of change their practices, you know, more market share is probably going to flow to Facebook paradoxically. And the second thing is, you know, um, you know, we, we saw that, that this, you know, realization led to the beginning of a sell-off in this FANG group, um, you know, Facebook leading, leading the charge. Um, the interesting thing is, like, Facebook's value of those four stocks, Facebook has by far the most reasonable valuation. So, you know, it probably um, is going to do kind of okay if the group sells off. Yeah, so, Michael, a couple things. Number one, I have a marketing background. Target marketing is not new. Gathering information about customers and CRM is not new. Cookies, for example, that follow Jack around. When Jack does any kind of inquiry on any kind of product for his family, he's always amazed and shares with me how the next day he gets all these pop-ups for that particular product he looked for the previous day. So this is nothing new. Um, but you say in terms of the amount of data Facebook has on us, which means see. you say it can be off-putting. Tell me, what does Facebook know about Wolfgang Klein that I don't know it knows? Well, you know, on, on Facebook in particular, um, they, they gather a lot of data about you, your friends, your social graph, uh, you know, the, 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 thing, the websites that you visit, the apps that you use. Sorry, back up. Websites? Uh, I, how do they know the websites I visit? All these apps can, um, you know, t uh, tie into the, you know, iOS or Android uh, operating system and, and glean data from other apps that are used and the data, you know, is shared between those other apps and the operating system. So, so, um, so sorry, and, so and when I'm just so, surfing the internet, Facebook is paying attention to what I'm looking at? Yeah, absolutely. If you're logged into your Facebook account um, or if you're on your phone, um, then, they, then they definitely have an understanding of what websites you're visiting and also geographically where you go too. I mean, you know, if you have uh, uh, location services enabled on your phone, then Facebook is you know, pretty much tracking you uh, wherever you go. Because no, in, in the interest of time, one of the questions, because I, I caught a media piece, I was confused by this. My wife mentioned to me that Facebook can also monitor our telephone calls. Is that true? The cell phone calls I'm making? Facebook knows who I'm calling? They may, uh, they may be able to look at the phone numbers that you're calling. Um, not sure exactly about that. Uh, I think clearly they wouldn't know... Um, you know, the content of your calls, right? I don't think they're monitoring those. Oh, I certainly hope they're not tapping into my phone. Come on. Not, that would be off-putting, Michael Graham. Look, Mike, we got to pay some bills around here, but we've got Michael Graham on the line. He's an analyst. He's a CFA, uh, and he covers Facebook. It's been front and center. We want to talk more about Amazon and uh, Alphabet uh, while we're at it, uh, but let's pay some bills and get right back to Michael Graham right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio, High Finance, a show about money. Indeed it is, and we're talking Facebook with Michael Graham. He's an analyst. He covers the FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and uh, Facebook being front and center with its data breach. We're learning more and more about what Facebook knows about us that we perhaps didn't know it knew about us. But, uh, you know, regulation aside, that's going to come, and it's going to stay, and it's going to, I think, uh, 
linger for some time, similar to what happened in, I guess, 10 years ago uh, with Microsoft, or 15 years ago with Microsoft and uh, antitrust and the European, European Union. European Union and then yeah. also Google as well, for sure. Google as well, but they it, both... It shows you how powerful these companies are that they need to regulate them. It does. Right? Yeah, and the, how powerful that data is that uh, that Mike was talking about. Um, let's talk about before... I want to talk about the, ultimately the business case for Facebook because I, I, I believe it's very, very real and valuation, I think, is, is very, very fair and reasonable for such a powerful stock. But let, let's start with first, regulation. Uh, how much of an anchor do you think it could be on the company's ability to do what it does best, which is uh, allow people to social network and, and, and be a very effective advertising tool? I do think it has the potential to be a little bit of a headwind, uh, you know, sort of over a sort of a year time frame. Um, the, the, the issue really probably comes down to, to ad prices, you know, because because the day the targeting data that Facebook can use uh, dictates how effective uh, the advertisements are. Uh-huh. And um, and the more effective the ads are, then, you know, the higher of a price Facebook can charge because, you know, advertisers will be happy to um to have that effectiveness and that kind of I get it yeah so, so more regulation less targetability less effectiveness lower prices yeah and so you know if you think about facebook's revenue model right it, you know you've got user growth and user engagement and that you know gets you your ad inventory and then they've got to sell it and and you know so there's a certain price and what's happened is that over the last few quarters the the growth in the user base and the growth in the ad inventory uh, has slowed down a bit, but revenue growth has stayed high because you know Facebook's been able to command higher ad prices. So clearly, if there was you know a big um, regulatory uh, you know sort of uh, 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 process here, it would it would possibly impede the ability for those ad prices to go up as quickly as you know the investors are expecting right now. I don't think it would be like a major deal, but it could be, you know, a bit of a headwind. Yeah, well, Jack, you just gave me a quote here. It's a very, very good quote. Look, if the product is free, you're the product. Facebook is free, so the users are the product, and that's the they price. They sell you your data, yeah. Yeah, and that's just the way it is. But, you know, uh, again, from, from a valuation point of view, because we own the stock, uh, Michael. We've held the stock. Uh, it's been a little painful. Uh, I think it's, it's sort of based out here, you know, just below 160. Uh, but the business case for Facebook, you have what? A, the stock is about 160 right now. You have what, a $240 target price on it? Yeah, our target price is 240 That's based on uh, 28 times uh, next year's earnings estimate. Uh, which we haven't changed yet, uh, 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 you know, based on these revelations. I don't really think we need to change it. I think, if anything, it, that the estimate might move higher. Mm-hmm. And that 28 multiple, we think, is appropriate because that's roughly how fast uh, we have Facebook's revenue growing. Revenue, uh, not, not earnings. You said revenue, correct? We have revenue growing 28 percent. That's huge. What are the growth drivers that you see with uh, Facebook? Because they, they have lots of them. What, do you, what kind of levers do you see pulling? You know, uh, over the next couple, next year, say, uh, to get that 28 uh, percent growth. Yeah, you know, you, what you have is you've got um, sort of du- low double-digit user growth, um, and then you've got the, each user getting more engaged, and so your ad inventory. Um, you know, the, the ad load is not going higher, really, but, you know, the time spent is is, is, is doing yep. well and the ad inventory is growing. So, um, you know, you've got like mid-teens, uh, you know, ad inventory growth. And then uh, the rest of the growth comes from, from ad pricing, as we talked about a little while ago. Uh, and that's all on Facebook proper. And then you've got um, Instagram. That's what I want to get to, yes. Which in nicely. My, sorry, Michael, are they monetizing Instagram? Instagram? Yeah. They, they, they are. Instagram has about uh, you know a quarter of the ad load on the, uh, of Facebook, which is why my kids like it. That's why my kids like it so much. Yeah, I mean it's very popular with that you know demographic, and 
Um, and then also, you know, um, the uh, the pricing is still quite a bit below, you know, Facebook proper. So advertisers often use that Instagram as a second source, you know, to try to get a little bit better ROI. Um, but Instagram is also an important, uh, uh, you know, revenue tailwind as well. No, I, I think there's huge opportunity with Instagram. And again, my kids think Facebook is pretty uncool, but they are, are spending a lot of time on uh, Instagram. So Facebook owns both of them. And I think that's really, really good from a long-term marketing point of view. Uh, Michael Graham, analyst, covers the Fang space, which includes the Googles and the Amazons and the Facebooks and the Netflix of the world. Pleasure to have you on this show. I'm sure you've been a very, very busy boy. With a lot of incoming calls from all of your institutional portfolio managers that you deal with. So dealing with retail is a pleasure and a privilege to have you on my show. Jack, good job getting your dad on the air talk maple syrup and line up some stomping tom uh so folks i guess if you're driving up towards aurelia stop by the shaw family and get yourself a, a gallon of maple syrup and maybe order a pig roast for the spring jack I look forward to pig roast you're gonna have for the uh, listeners of hi-fi radio up at walker's point and i want to be thrilled <laughs> indeed you will guys have a great week and we'll speak to you next week listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.